You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Father, again we come before you and we thank you for our time together this morning uh, worshiping you. I'm spending time with one another, Uh, even just spending time around our tables this morning, uh, having conversation, looking eyeball to eyeball with um, with others around our table in community, uh, being real with one another and just sharing some of the pain points of our lives. And Lord, uh, I know that in this small room, I I know enough about every person in this room um, to know some things, but I don't know all things. You know all things. And therefore, what we need the most is for you to come and to speak this morning through your word to us. Pray, God, that you would bring healing where there is brokenness. Pray, God, that you would let your power shine in the midst of our weakness. We pray, Lord God, that you would grant repentance where there is sin. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So what we got done discussing just now around the tables here in the room are these questions. I want to reposition them for you so that you can hear them fresh. What is the most painful memory that you have? And then how has that painful memory, that painful experience uh, motivated, conditioned, and shaped the things that you think, the things that you say, and the things that you do. Look at Luke 23, verses 23 through 38. Luke tells us, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. And so as we examine this passage, first question we got to ask, first question we got to answer is what's happening in this passage, right? That is the first question we ask when we arrive at any text. And in this passage, Jesus experiences a bunch of pain, six categories of pain that I want to lay out for us. And as we walk through them, then my prayer, my prayer and my hope for us is that you and I would experience the love of Jesus on display in the midst of excruciating pain. Some of the commentators, as I studied this out, continued to use the word excruciating because it's about the crucifixion of Christ. Excruciating pain. Excruciating in one sense of the word actually means out of the cross. Like pain out of the cross. So this word excruciating is is a real interesting word to just study out. Um... And so I pray that that what what would happen for you and I both was that we would 
be confronted with Christ's love for us in the midst of hearing this. First category, category number one, Jesus endured the pain of being sentenced to death in verse 33, right? Like Jesus has been publicly marked as a criminal and he's been given the death sentence. That's what's happened. <clears throat> he's an innocent man. He's an innocent man, but he's been treated like the scum of the earth. Like before Jesus even made his way up that hill, you think about this picture, before Jesus even made his way up that hill with that cross over his shoulder, he was beaten. Let your mind fixate on that for a minute. Before he even walked up that hill, he was beaten. He was beaten badly with sticks and whips. He was beaten so badly that you could barely recognize him. His flesh would have been ripped to shreds by little lead balls, little shreds of glass, little tiny pieces of steel that were fastened to the ends of that whip as they beat him with it. His internal organs would have most likely been hanging out of his body. This is the picture of Jesus as he went to the cross for you and I. His internal organs would have most likely been nearly hanging out of his body because the muscles and the skin and the flesh that would typically hold his body together was ripped to shreds, was torn to shreds during his public beating. Jesus was barely alive in this passage. Barely alive. It's Simon. Simon is carrying Jesus' cross up that hill for him because Jesus is too weak to carry it on his own. This is the setting. This is where we're at. This is the pain of being sentenced to death. He's being led up the hill of death as a man who's been sentenced to death by public execution among the common criminals of that day. Can you see Jesus there? Can you see him enduring the pain of being sentenced to death among the common criminals as an innocent man, beaten and bruised and bloody this way? Number two, Category number two, Jesus endured the pain of being abused and tortured as if being beaten with the whip wasn't enough. Listen to some of these details. And the extent of the public abuse and torture, this is some commentary I picked up on. I hope this paints the picture for us well. The extent of the public abuse and torture that Jesus endured is almost, catch this, almost unexplainable. It means that when, when Christ went to the cross, when he faced the abuse and the torture of the cross, it's so horrific it's nearly unexplainable. That's how horrific it is. There would have been four Roman guards assigned to Jesus to ensure that his public abuse and torture would be done right. They would have thrown him on the ground. They would have rolled him over on top of the crossbeam. And then two of the guards would have pinned him down so that he couldn't squirm away from the pain. Put yourself in this moment on this hill. Jesus in agonizing, bloody gore. 
is laying there, trying to squirm away from the pain. Isn't that what we do? Squirm away from the pain. He's got two guards holding him down so that he can't get away from public abuse and torture. And the other two... One of them would have held his arm out over the top of the cross member and held it steady. And the other one would have grabbed a big steel spike and a hammer and they would have driven it right through the wrist of Jesus into that crossbeam. Can you see the blood splatter? Can you see the blood splattering all over the guards as they publicly abuse him and publicly torture him? This is the picture of the pain that Jesus endured for you and I. If you're here and you claim to know him, this is the pain that he endured for you. Kind of makes, kind of makes those secret sinful places of our lives feel really shameful, doesn't it? Doesn't it? When you know this is what he went through for you? Can you hear Jesus? Can you hear him in this moment as he screams in agony and in pain? Have you ever, have you ever felt enough pain that you screamed out in agony? Can you picture Jesus in this moment? Can you see him as he endures the pain of being abused and tortured? The next thing the guards would have done was they would have used ropes to hoist him up on that cross member, to hoist him up in the air. If you need to close your eyes to see this, do it, right? They're hoisting this thing up, and his body is bleeding and broken and falling apart. body is dangling from this cross, and he's screaming in torture. He's held up by nails in his wrists at this point. And the four guards are hoisting him straight up the upright post. And when he gets into place, they would have grabbed his legs and held them to the post, the upright post, so that he could not get out of the way. And they would have taken another nail and they would have driven it through both ankles into the wood. This is what Jesus did for you and I. This is the center message of the Bible, right? This is the whole point of the Bible. If this ain't true, we are wasting our time. There's no power in what's happening this morning, right? No power in my message if this isn't true. If this is true, if this is true, if we can trust this for real, then there's power in this message. There's power in this picture. And that power is to change. This is why Jesus went to the cross. It's to see us changed. Category number three. Jesus endured the pain of being shamefully exposed. Verse 34. Like after the Roman guards publicly abused and tortured Jesus. They played gambling games. Can you imagine this? They publicly abused him and tortured him, and then they played games. Gambling for his clothing. He's hanging there. Now, let me tell you this. When you watch the movies on this, there's a lot of things that they can't put in there. Just from, a, just from an artistic depiction, right? And one of the things that's always put in 
to crucifixion movies is a little loincloth covering up Jesus' private areas. And the reality is they were gambling for his clothes. They didn't put clothes on people that they crucified because part of the crucifixion was the humiliation and the shame of being exposed in front of everyone. He's hanging there completely naked, shamefully exposed in front of every person that was watching and also in front of the people who had abused him and tortured him. And now, now, now they're sitting in the shadow of the cross playing games. Let that statement sink in for you. Sitting in the shadow of the cross, playing games after abusing Jesus. Category number four, Jesus endured the pain of being publicly humiliated. Right, as he hangs there, naked, shamefully exposed, I want you to imagine all the people that are standing there as well. This didn't happen in private. For many of us, our pain points, our pain experience came at the hands of someone else who was watching us, looking at us, someone we trusted, right? For Jesus, surrounded by people, people staring at him. And in the midst of that, in the midst of them staring up at him, hanging there, helplessly enduring the pain and the suffering of the cross, imagine them making fun of him. Ever been made fun of? Think about this. Ever make fun of somebody? Do you like it when you get made fun of? When somebody ridicules you? When somebody puts you down? When someone makes a public mockery of you in front of other people? When somebody jabs at you because you don't meet the cut, right? Because you don't meet their expectations? This is what Jesus faced here. Imagine them mocking him, scoffing at him, publicly humiliating him, scolding him. Imagine them saying, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, you saved other people. Why can't you save yourself? Like, why can't you get yourself out of this painful predicament? Ever preach that to yourself? But just step back for a minute and think of the words of the accuser, the words of Satan as he comes to condemn you. Why couldn't you get yourself out of that painful experience? What is wrong with you? Aren't you man enough to get yourself out of this? Aren't you woman enough to get yourself? Why don't you just get over it? What's your, what's your problem? Those are the words of the accuser, right? Satan is having his heyday on this day. Little does he know that what's taking place is the power of the gospel unto salvation so that we can sing that song that we sang today. Praise the King. He's alive. I am redeemed. Death has no power over me. Hell hath no fury over me. Because even in these moments when Jesus endured the pain of being publicly humiliated, even when these people looked at him and they were like, hey, didn't you say you were the Savior? Why can't you save yourself? Even when that was happening, even when they, when they publicly humiliated him, 
They questioned the fact of whether he was chosen by God or not. Are you really chosen by God? Are you really his son? Really? Look at you. Look at what's happening in your life right now. Are you really his son? This is the accuser coming and speaking those words, right? Public humiliation. Can you see Jesus being made fun of publicly and verbally abused? Man, look at, the, look at category number five. Jesus endured the pain of being mocked and belittled. And as soon as the religious leaders began to poke fun at Jesus and humiliate him, as soon as they began to do that, and the Roman guards had to add their two cents in as well. And the Roman guards, like, like as if they hadn't already um, done enough harm, right? As if they hadn't been cruel enough already, they got to go even further and offer Jesus some alcohol to numb the pain, prolong his death so that they can get more entertainment value out of it. Doesn't that just make you sick that somebody would want to be entertained by the cross of Christ? And yet, on the flip side, we may not be standing here offering Jesus alcohol, right, to prolong his death. But in the silly little ways that we live our lives, don't we make a mockery of the cross with the games that we play? That, that should break our hearts, shouldn't it? Can you see Jesus enduring the pain of being mocked and belittled by these Roman guards who are covered in his blood? They're covered in his blood. It's a bloodbath. Needed to be because it's the blood that would set us free, right? It's the blood that would wash you and I clean from our sins. And yet what do we do? And we take a shower, we wash off Jesus' blood, and we start painting ourselves up with other things that we'd rather cover our lives with. Whether that be a drug or an inappropriate relationship or the pornography that we look at on our computer or the spending habits that we have. However we seek to cover our pain, when we wash off Christ's blood and play games in the shadow of the cross, we are in a sense returning pain back onto Christ and we're just, we're playing this cycle, right? It's a cycle that winds up hurting us and hurting others around us. That's why sin is a public thing. That's why, that's why sin's not a private thing. Our, our Savior would have never had to have been publicly executed had your private sin and my private sin just been private. So, number six, right? I didn't get to number six yet. Number six, Jesus endured the pain of being wrongfully punished. Wrongfully punished. Right over the top of Jesus, there was a billboard that stated his supposed crime. Jesus wasn't guilty. We've covered that, right? The Bible covers that. Luke has covered that. He wants to drive home once again that Jesus is the king. He is the savior, regardless of how people have belittled him and treated him. Jesus hasn't changed. This is what Jesus was being executed for. This is why he was sentenced to death among the criminals. This is why he was abused and tortured, shamefully exposed, 
Let me think about this once again. Stop for a second. If Jesus was so exposed painfully in front of the entire watching world to see, why is it that you and I try to hide all the things in our lives? Why? Why wouldn't we want to walk with things exposed? I'm not talking about taking off your clothes and running around naked, okay? What I'm talking about is the things that we hide in our lives. Why would you want to hide? Why would you want to hide and at the same time say, I trust that Savior who hung there exposed, but I, I'm not going to expose myself to brothers and sisters who, who love me. There's something off there, isn't there? Right? Can you see Jesus enduring the pain of being wrongfully punished? Was wrongfully punished if he's really the king. Should have never been punished this way. So the question is, after examining all these categories of pain that Jesus experienced at the cross, is how is this going to be helpful for you and I? Right? I think, I think it's helpful to note that in verse 34, Jesus prays, right? He prays in response to the pain that he suffered at the hands of his enemies. And he prays this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the midst of the pain that Jesus endured, he went to his father in prayer. Like the reason that he endures the pain and the reason that he prays for his enemies is so that we who have lived in open rebellion against him as his enemies could then have the opportunity to experience lasting faith in his painful work at the cross. Say it again. So I think Luke's main message in this whole thing is. Jesus endured the pain of the cross and he prayed for his enemies so that we could all have the opportunity to experience lasting faith. Lasting faith. Is the faith that you claim to have, is it lasting and will it endure? Six practical pastoral exhortations that I hope would be helpful to you as you process this passage and everything that I've said. Six things. Number one, we endure personal pain by clinging to the cross of Christ. That's how you endure personal pain. You don't cling to anything else. You cling to the cross of Christ. If you're clinging to other things, you need to cut them off. You need to root them out. You need to burn it down. You need to walk away. And you need to cling to the cross of Christ. We usually experience pain at the hands of someone else. Said that a few times today already, right? Someone says something hurtful about us. Someone does something hurtful to us. A spouse unexpectedly has an affair and leaves. A child throws a, a fit and says they hate us as parents. A parent doesn't nurture their child properly. Someone experiences like the daily disappointment of total loneliness. Children get neglected. Someone dies even though you've prayed like crazy for him or her not to die and to get healed. The friend crowd at school or at church makes fun of you. 
turns their back on you, starts talking crap about you, your boss gets angry and, and explodes on you, someone make, makes fun of you in front of other people because you were found to be lacking in some way. And maybe you're hearing this and, and you've experienced really horrific pain. Maybe it was verbal or emotional or sexual or mental or psychological abuse from someone. Like the list could go on and on and on. But here's the truth. And I know it's kind of a placard because we can't spend the rest of the day just getting into it. The truth of this passage is Jesus has endured the pain. And the way that you are going to get through that pain and endure it as well is if you cling to the cross of Christ. And the way that you do that, it's very simple. It's very simple. It's just that we like to ignore it. And it's hard. Here's the way we cling to Christ. We cling to Christ, we receive healing and wholeness by regularly confessing our pain and our sin. Don't just blow by that. It's what you guys just did around the table. Confessed your pain and your sin. Has to be a regular thing. If you're not doing that, you're going to get anemic, you're going to get sick, you're going to die. Your sin is going to well up inside of you and it's going to murder you. Don't play games with this one. Cling to the cross of Christ by regularly confessing your pain and your sin, studying the gospel, and praying together within the context of the church family. Those are the three prescriptive things all throughout scripture, scripture in a nutshell. I can take you to so many places and show it to you. I'd love for you guys to do that yourself. Hebrews 10 is a great place to go. Romans 12 is another great place to go. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is another great place to go. If you want to get this picture of what it looks like to confess and repent and get eyeball to eyeball with other people and get honest, right? And study the gospel and study the Bible and grow. Number two. Number two, we endure, endure personal pain by praying for our enemies. This is a tough one. It's a tough one because when we, when we pray for our enemies, the cross of Christ should be in our view. You, you can't disconnect praying for your enemies from the cross of Christ because it was from this cross that Christ hung on, that he was crucified on, that we actually take our lesson for praying for our enemies. It is at the cross of Christ where we have our clearest picture of what it looks like to love our enemies. Jesus gave us the instruction, love your enemies. Don't hate them like the world does, right? Love them as Christ has loved his enemies. You and I who have lived as his enemies, he loved us. How? By going to the cross and on that cross, praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So part of the way that you endure personal pain is by praying for your enemies. Number three, when we endure personal pain, we do that by approaching God as our Father. Endure personal pain by approaching God as your Father. When Jesus experienced, think about this, when he experienced pain at the hands of, of others, he went to his Father in prayer. He asked God to forgive his enemies. And you and I can do the same thing if we've trusted in Christ. And if we've trusted in his work at the cross, God is our father. We are his sons and daughters. Nothing can change that. And if we are his sons and daughters, then he will hear 
and listen and answer our prayers, especially when we pray like Jesus did in this instance for his enemies. So we must come to him in prayer in the midst of our pain, confess our hurt to him. Hey, God, this hurt. That person said something hurtful to me. That person shamed me. They mocked me. They belittled me. They abused me. And at the cross, looking at Jesus' abused body, I can take comfort in that. And it's good for me then as I pray for my enemies to confess my hurt and my pain. I come to him in prayer for your enemies, confessing your hurt, your pain, instead of trying to return evil for evil. So we often do to our enemies, right? Dream up little scheming ways that we can hurt them or that we wish fire would fall down from heaven on top of their heads. Get consumed with something that somebody did that disrespected us. Tell us stories over and over and over again, right? Rather than praying for our enemies and remembering Christ at the cross. Number five. Probably number four, isn't it? Number four, we endure personal pain by asking God to forgive our enemies. Oftentimes what we plead with God for is for the destruction of our enemies, but the reality is that we need to plead with him to forgive them. Like, think about this. How much do we need God to forgive us when we've acted abusively towards him and other people? How much do we need that? Just take a gander, take a guess. Anybody? How much do you need God to forgive you when you sin against him and abuse him? There's, a, there's not enough room in this earth. There's not enough room, right? Like we need so much of God's forgiveness for all of our abusive sin against him and against others. that, And we want that. Why would we not want to ask for that for our enemies as well, right? That's the picture. I think that when we ask God to help us to forgive our enemies, it helps us. Uh, when we ask him to forgive our enemies, it helps us to forgive them as well. Right? Because if you're going to ask God to forgive your enemies, you're going to have to ask him to help you to forgive them as well. Like you can't be there all pissed off and ticked off, right? And be like, God, please forgive them, but don't, don't, don't make me forgive them. Like that's not going to work. Like part, part of that prayer moves my heart to forgive them in those moments. Let me tell you, if you, if you sit around nursing unforgiveness and bitterness and all you can do is tell stories of how someone hurt you and make light of that and make fun of that, the reality for you is that you've got bitterness and resentment deep down inside because unforgiveness, when you refuse to forgive and when you pretend like you've forgiven when you really haven't, okay, when all that happens, you begin to get bitter, you begin to get shriveled up, and then you begin to get resentful. Resentful is hateful towards someone because they, they cause pain. Right? This is our defense mechanisms. And then we go to war against them. Pretty soon we don't even know that we're doing this to everyone around us. Because then pretty soon we see everybody as our abuser. Okay? So, we endure personal pain by asking God to forgive our enemies. And then it helps us to forgive as well. Wipe the slate clean is what we're asking God to do. Wipe the slate clean. Wipe the story out of my mind. Replace that. Replace my list that I've kept of someone's wrongdoings. Because love, we know, love does not keep a list of wrongdoings. Right? Whenever I hear people that continue to work through their list of how this person did them wrong, that person did them wrong, this person disrespected them, that person didn't do this, that person did that. Whenever I hear that, I begin to know. I know. There is a weed of unforgiveness deep down inside that person's heart. And it's turning to bitterness and it's turning to resentment 
And really what all that does is turns your view back around on yourself. You start worshiping yourself, right? The shriveled up little broken person of yourself deep down inside of your soul. And you try to find ways to medicate that. Now we're back to that, right? Follow me? <clears throat> number five, number five, we endure personal pain by acknowledging our enemy's blindness. Like Jesus acknowledged that his enemies didn't know what they were doing. Like they had no clue what they were doing. They had no clue that they were painfully crucifying the Savior of sinners and the King of the universe. They had no clue. So Jesus acknowledges their blindness, right? He doesn't say that they haven't sinned. He's not doing that. Don't, don't get confused here. He doesn't say, oh, they haven't sinned at all. He's just simply saying, hey, hey, they're blind. Forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. If they knew that they were crucifying the Savior of the world and the King of the universe, if they really knew that, they wouldn't have done it. Right? Here's the deal. Every one of us in this room has blind spots. Every one of us can look up someday and say, oh, I didn't know I came across that way. Oh, oh man, I, I didn't mean to hurt you that way. Oh, holy cow, I, I, had, I had no intention of doing that, but, you know, but I have sinned against you, right? That's, that's what happens for us, um, if we're, I guess if we're healthy. Because um, in a healthy place, you're able to say, man, I did not intend to sin against you, but I did sin against you. I mean, the unhealthy side of that is we begin to cover it up. We begin to try to prove why we didn't sin against someone, how we didn't sin against someone, right? We try to turn around like they sinned against us to keep them at arm's length. Jesus just acknowledges the blind spots. These guys were ignorant of the pain they were causing. Well, they may not have been ignorant of the pain they were causing, but I think they were ignorant of the sin they were committing. Okay? And I think Jesus calls out, he's like, hey, they're deceived. I can let them off the hook in that regard here. Doesn't mean they're not so culpable for their sin, and they're going to be accountable for that. Just means this is the way that Jesus prayed for them. So remember, in prayer, our enemies have blind spots just like us. And when we, when we realize that, when we remember that, when we go, you know what, that person has a blind spot just like I do. In fact, mine's probably bigger than theirs. That would be a real humble way, I think, of saying it. Um, and, and thinking about it, not just saying it, because we can say it and then inside go, oh man, I'm glad I'm not as jacked up as that person is, right? Glad my blind spots aren't that freaking big. It's like a Mack truck, right? <laughs> Mine's like a, a bug, like a, a beetle maybe, okay? Volkswagen bug, that's my blind, I mean, that's, well, that's the way we often think through things. I want to challenge us to be thinking that our blind spots are most likely Freaking Mack trucks, right? We probably need somebody to say, hey, you got a blind spot there, dude? Uh, time to pay attention to that. Remember that your enemies have blind spots. And I think when you do that, um, you, when you do that, you, you actually release yourself from their control and you release yourself from your own desire for vengeance. So you endure pain by acknowledging your enemy's blindness. Number six, final piece. We endure personal pain by experiencing lasting faith. Like pain is a powerful motivator. And the pain of betrayal can cause someone to lash out verbally at someone else. Pain of physical, emotional, verbal, sexual abuse can cause someone to clam up, hide out in self-protect mode. Pain of loneliness can cause someone to run around in the shadows nursing relational or sexual addictions. You know what it looks like to nurse an addiction, right? 
You know what it looks like to nurse your sin? Just think of this picture. Just get this, for those of you moms, new moms in the room that have babies, and for those of you moms that may have babies, and for those of you dads, you got to do this too. Nursing sin, sexual sin, relational sin, any sin. When you nurse it, it's like, it's like holding that little baby in your hand. Your precious little baby, right? Looks just like you, talks just like you. It's precious, right? And what do you do? You get the bottle out, you nurse it. When you put the bottle down and they get hungry, what do they do? Cry. How loud do they cry? Somebody give me an example just so we can wake us all up. That, no, I've had seven babies. They cry a lot louder than that. Yeah, so when that, when that little baby of yours starts screaming at you for attention, what do you do? Grab that bottle, nurse it. Get a little bit more, quiet it down, right? That's the process we get into in our sin. We nurse our sin along in private, behind closed doors. Nobody else can see. And James says when, uh, when sin has a baby and it gets full grown, what does it bring? Death. You want to nurse death for yourself? Please don't. That's my pleading. Jesus died on the cross so that death would no longer have a hold on you. Jesus faced this abuse on the cross so that sin would no longer have a hold on you. Jesus faced this abuse at the cross because he loves you so that you would no longer have to live in the grave. Nursing your sin. Nursing those private things. pain of loneliness can cause someone to run around in the shadows nursing relational sexual addictions. The pain of being bullied can make uh, and made fun of can cause you to lash out in anger or develop uh, habits of self-harm. The list could go on and on because pain is a powerful motivator that drives us, shapes us, motivates us, and molds us, right? The personal pain that you've been enduring will only be healed as you experience lasting faith at the cross of Christ. And the only place that you'll find wholeness for your pain is the cross of Christ. The only place that you'll be made right again and walk in repentance and be covered by the blood of Christ is at the foot of the cross. The image is real. There were some dudes playing games at the foot of the cross covered in Christ's blood, and they didn't even realize that what they needed the most was to be covered in his blood, not playing games, right? Please let that not be us. Please let that not be us. Only place they'll be made right again is in the cross of Christ. We endure personal pain by experiencing lasting faith at the cross of Christ. Final statement. Summary of this passage, Jesus endured the pain of the cross and he prayed for his enemies so that we could all have that opportunity to experience lasting faith. As we get ready to go to the table here and uh, take communion together, uh, I'm just going to stay up near the front and, and I'd like to pray with some of you uh, if you need prayer. Uh, but here's what I want you to see. This is an illustration, an image that they used this last week. Um, the problem for us in our pain is that we're looking for some sort of an umbilical cord to nourish us, right, when we get hungry. Think of a baby in a womb once again. And, and we connect that umbilical cord to all sorts of things to cover that pain. 
and the reality for you and I is that Jesus is supposed to be that umbilical cord. When you start to get bored with him and play games somewhere else, um, when you start to get fearful of your church family or your leaders in your church, um, because they might, heaven forbid, see some dirtiness in your life, you start to walk there, let me just tell you, you're disconnecting from Jesus and you're connecting to things that are unhealthy for you. You're feeding yourself rat poisoning. And so the picture here as we come to the table is that we are being reminded to be connected to Christ, for him to be like our umbilical cord, for us to find our nourishment in him. So as you come to take communion, I want you to think about where are you finding your nourishment? Is it at the cross of Christ where his blood flowed freely for you and I, where he was painfully abused, where he endured the pain? where he prayed for his enemies so that you and I could have lasting faith? Is that what you're connected to? Let me pray. Father, as we close, Lord, I pray that uh, you would apply um, everything that I've said that was from you um, to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would remove anything that I preached or said that wasn't from you. And I pray, God, that you would use it to do good um, to us and to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hey, love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from the well. A gospel centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.